0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is the Advent season, and we are excited to be here Uh, for the next few weeks. We take this journey towards Christmas, and it all begins today. And, um, you know, personally, it felt a little weird not having our education hour, the course time, you know, at 930. I kind of missed it and felt a little lost, but you will accomplish that in your home uh, tonight or this afternoon or whenever you plan it, and that will be your time to get together with others, um, and uh, your kids and everything, and get that done. So that is um, where course has moved here for the next uh, few Sundays, okay? So that's what we're doing. Um, And so make sure you get that done, and I'll be pushing that uh, this morning, and we will in the announcements at the end and so forth. Well, what Chris just performed, what Chris and the band just performed, is called uh, Zacharias Canticle. And, um, it is, if you have your Bible, uh, if you want to pull up on your phone or if you have your hard copy, it would be in Luke, the gospel of Luke in the new Testament, chapter one, starting in verse 67. So Luke has long chapters. Uh, so, um, Luke chapter one, verse 67, and you'll find it. And so here, I'm going to give it to you again so we can break it down. Um, and there's a couple of features just on the kind of. Uh, instruction side of things here to throw at you. Um, then, then his father. I'm just starting verse 67 here, Luke 1:67. Then his father, that's John, John's father. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. So this is a prophecy, and there is a structure in Scripture of prophecy. There's a few with variations, but a prophecy in the Old Testament, in particular, of course, is it will state the situation it'll give the history it will state it in terms of the promise what was expected what went on a long time what did god who what did god do and what relationship are we with god and then it will transition it will flip over to a particular person a king or whatever in this case it's going to be Zechariah's son John who goes on to be John the Baptist And then it will give a new hope. It will give a new promise and something in the future. So the first half is the past, and then the second half is the future, okay? So look for this switch. It'll happen in here. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy, colon, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that he would that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us so you can hear the we're looking backward here verse 72 thus he has shown the mercy promised there's the background again promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant okay the oath That he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Okay. That's all the background stuff. You now are caught up on what the expectation was for really the last 1,400, 1,600 years. And you, child. So picture Zechariah has his hands over his son John. Okay. Okay. And a blessing. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly in Israel. Okay, so you have this picture, and I always like to try and make a point. Every time you find in, in this period here in the first century A.D., you hear this line about the forgiveness of sin, okay, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, try not to think in terms of just personal private sin, although that would certainly be there. You want to think in terms of national sin or the people's <clears throat> entire identity. In other words, they had turned to false gods. That was their sin. It wasn't, oh, I cussed or something like that. You know, that wasn't the the problem they were dealing with. That's what we all kind of deal with. But it was really much more about where did we go wrong as a people that put us into slavery, really, in this case, in the last 600 years. So this is how we begin, with the promise that is to come. And that's why we do this on this first advent of Christmas. So it is one of the four Christmas canticles, all right? And John does become John the Baptist, And the man whom Jesus would go on to say, among born of women, no one is greater than John. Quite a thing to say by Jesus. Zechariah is John's father, and to be a parent is to hope. I'll just say it again. To be a parent is to hope. I wonder if that isn't why we even have children. I know, you know, because you think, like, why are we having kids? You know, like, kids don't listen to this part. Um... you know, but there is this sort of thing like why why would we do that? It is something about hope. It's something about a vision of the future, something about a promise in the past. You know? You you hope for your child's success. We want our kids to get good grades. We want them to do well at their sports and their activities and maybe get a trophy or a certificate or a sticker and then walk across that stage and pick up that diploma thing, you know. And Zachariah is no different. He has hopes for John. He hopes his son John would someday do something spectacular. Of course, if you read the whole first chapter there of Luke, you'll understand that God had bigger plans for John than even Zechariah had. And, of course, it kind of went uh, wonky there for Zechariah for a while, and he was s- struck um, dumb so he couldn't speak, just so he kind of learn a lesson of silence. And so John was going to go before Jesus, the coming Messiah, the one that was going to set the people free. And, um, you know, you have to understand the people had been beat up and beat down and forgotten. We're talking about the Jewish people. They'd been beat up and beat down for hundreds and hundreds of years. It had been 400 years since the last thing had really happened when they kind of got back and rebuilt the wall around the city and they were allowed to come back. 600 years even before they'd had a, a real king or a prophet or anything like that. And freedom... Freedom seems so very, very distant, nearly forgotten. I mean, think about it. How long ago was 400 years ago in our own history here in the year 2022? What was going on 400 years ago? I mean, for starters, everything traveled by water, river and oceans. There were no railroads. There were no planes. There were no cars. Hardly any trails out there. So, if you want some idea of what was going on when Zechariah is giving this prophecy, if we want to understand what's going on when he says this, it's got to sound entirely foreign uh, because it just wasn't ever going to happen, even though the people knew it. Just get this idea: it would be like if if you went back 400 years ago. Let's just say presently that America is under some dictator; we don't have a democracy. Just right now today, 2022. Just imagine that. Imagine there's a, some junta or whatever who's controlling things. There's some crony, right? And uh, you, there's this oppressive military, soldiers on every corner. You can't do anything. And imagine America is like the Hunger Games, you know, and you're living in Panem, right? And there must be some rich capital over there. Or it's like the show The Man in the High Castle or whatever, you know, like where the Nazis won World War II. Something like that, Right? and that we're all being oppressed, that we aren't free to assemble in church or do any of this sort of stuff. Then imagine 400, 600 years ago, we were once a democracy. We, us. 600 years ago, we were a democracy. And we don't really understand anymore what a democracy is because it's been so long ago. But all we know is, is that we're being oppressed right now. But there was this dream this vision of what we once were. And no one is left anymore for centuries long ago who would ever remember living free. And we know we're not free. We have no property, soldiers, you're sneaking around trying to get food, hide a little silver. And to make matters worse, Christianity, this Christianity, the dictator who's running our lives, he calls himself the son of God. Directly opposing our Christian beliefs. That Jesus is the only son of God. That's what it would have been like. In the first century AD. To be living in Israel. You would not even know what it's like. To be free. That's what it would have been like. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. and Before that. In 300, they were oppressed by Alexander the Great. And before that, they were oppressed by the Assyrians. And before that, they were oppressed by the Babylonians. Nobody has any idea what it's like to be free. It's just a dream. That's what Zechariah is talking to. Hope? Hope? What is hope? Who can remember hope in that time? If we were in Zachariah's shoes, we would at least hope then for our children's future. Maybe our children someday will be free. We would hope someday our sons and daughters would live, live in this, this uh, forgotten ideal that we have of the past. Maybe it will come true in their lifetime. But let's face it. 600 years has gone by and hardly anybody has any hope left. And then, and then, an angel shows up. <laughs> And tells your kid that your kid is going to lead the way to the nation's salvation. Imagine that. Imagine that. To be a parent is to take the journey of hope. To be a parent is to take the journey of hope. To be human is to hope. I used to hope and pray that my children someday grow up to be, you know, responsible adults, right? And now they are. Um, and, you know, they're adults, right? And that I'd pray that they would make it through school, sometimes just for that day, that they'd have strong, safe friends, um, that they'd be emotionally at peace, you know, that they'd feel like home is home. And uh, now they've gone off to college. Right now my daughter's flying back to Waco, and my son's driving up to Kirksville right now this morning. It's a little lonesome around the house all of a sudden. Walk, and Lori was taking me to the airport, and I'm wandering around the house here by myself. And I'm thinking, like, it was so full of life, you know. And now they're gone. And then I think, but they've turned out so well, you know. I mean, beyond my hopes, my kids have turned out. Mostly because of Lori, but I'll take some credit when it credits due. <laughs> you know, and then you pray for your kids. And you pray that they have strong spiritual background that they have a solid foundation that maybe at college they find a good church or a good campus ministry you know you pray that they don't have too much fun you know um but mostly i just hope they grow isn't that every parent's dream is that your kid would grow up that they'd be responsible and they've just exceeded my expectations they're flourishing they're thriving any parent's dream is that to be a parent is to take this journey of hope just like Zachariah, just like you and me. John took Zechariah and Elizabeth on the journey of hope, and God's going to take you on a journey of hope. Kids or no kids. We must watch over our hearts with all diligence on this journey. Why? Because we are living right now, folks, in a very trying, weird time. It is such a weird time of change. I keep saying anthropologists, sociologists, uh, political commentary people are going to look back on this thing over the next five, eight, ten, twenty years. It'll be in classrooms, and they'll be saying like, "What happened after that pandemic? What happened culturally? Things changed. Some things went backwards. Other things. We don't even know what those things are. We're just guessing right now. But we live in a really, really trying time. About a month ago, back in October, the staff, most of the staff, went downtown to Youth Front, and we listened to uh, Dr. Andy Root, Andrew Root. And um, to hear Andy Root lecture. Andy Root is up north in, um, at Luther Seminary, and he's a youth and family professor. And we've had him here as a guest lecturer as well. Uh, Andy Root's an expert on youth ministry, and he's really quite an expert right now on what's going on inside of church and family and all that sort of thing. And what Andy Root lectured on when we went last month was this. He lectured on this great Fatigue. Fatigue. We're all expressing a fatigue these days, right? The fatigue is a result of the pandemic, no doubt. That's easy to understand. We're all worn out by it. But Andy said that there's a more long-term pervasive fatigue fatigue in society. The fatigue, think hard about this one because it's a little hard to digest, obviously coming from some college professor. The fatigue of being yourself. The fatigue of being yourself. You're worn out being you. And you're like, what? What this means is what's wearing us down is just trying to be everything. Everywhere, all at once. We must say something interesting on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. And if you don't get enough likes, then you, you take off the post. Everything is expressing And you can't keep up. I mean, even our be-reels, which I think is the lamest social media thing out there, and that's why I'm on it, because it's just you just take a picture of yourself and somebody else. Most of the time, it's just people sitting there with their feet up watching television. That's cool. But even our be-reels somehow have to be just a little bit more real than being real in order to be interesting. Our weekends need to be interesting, or at least our photos of being on the weekend need to be interesting. We feel tiresome pressure to be special and unique, to be yourself. And our children have to be involved in things that will make them succeed and look interesting. And we'll sit out in the freezing cold to watch our kid play football. Because, you know, if they don't, they're going to end up deficient somehow. you imagine, you know, if you just walked out here in the lobby afterwards and everybody's kind of chatting it up and saying, hey, man. And you walked out there and you said, hey, what's, what's going on? What you been doing? And, and you said, nothing. No, really, I mean, I've been doing absolutely nothing. I'm doing nothing, nothing. I, not a, No, I'm not just trying to get rid of you. I've actually been doing nothing. My, my kids are not in soccer or volleyball or piano or art class or wrestling or horseback riding. We, we, don't, we don't do anything. Why? Uh, not, no, I don't have a reason. I don't care. And you know what the other person would say? Oh. And then they'd kind of try and find out a way to kind of shuffle off and talk to somebody who actually had something going on. And could answer the what do you do question. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they'd just stand there and you guys have a staring match or something. <laughs> but we're supposed to be busy. Being unique. We're supposed to be busy being yourself. And when we can't be ourselves, we just get fatigued. We get so worn out. And I'm not blaming it on you know, iPhones and social media or anything like that. It's just the whole culture is you've got to be you. You know, I mean, it's just got to go. Andy Root went on to say that the number one ailment therapists are dealing with right now is Depression. Depression is the number one thing that sends people, to, sends people to counselors and therapists. We are depressed. We are depressed not just because of what we should be doing, but Andy Root said we are depressed because of what we could be doing. We have shifted from a should, you should get a good job, you should be popular, you should be doing something awesome, to just could be interesting. Interesting. Where's the bottom of that? It is bottomless. What you could be. No wonder we're all depressed. No wonder we're all worn out. Well, the soul doctor here says the answer to this anxiety and this depression is quite the soulish answer. And it's not really spectacular. We just have to accept who we are. And how that happens is by being at the feet of Jesus and realizing that God loves you no matter what. That you just are okay the way you are with what you aren't doing. You're just fine. And God loves you no matter what. That's all it is to it. That God loves you just the way you are. When the kids were little, And we were driving around, you know, going to Burger King, coming home and stuff like that. Burger King was our favorite. When the kids were little and they're in their car seats. And um, I would make up these little nonsense, absurd songs. And I would just sing little weird lyrics. And I was focused on, I knew what I was doing. I was trying anyway. I was focused on just singing them songs about, you're fine just the way you are. And God loves you. And mommy loves loves you. And daddy loves you. And you're just fine. And he's just like, and just how, just everything was just okay. I just made stuff up, you know. And I don't know what they were getting out of it, but I'll tell you this. In that minivan, it was stone silent listening to daddy sing. We got a whole planet that just needs daddy singing to it. You're okay. You're just fine. God loves you. No performance. Yeah, what we need is God's little song that says, I love you just the way you are. I would have come just for you. If we're fatigued with being ourselves, then we just need to simply be. You know, after all, we are human beings, not human doings. I think maybe this is why I keep doing these contemplative retreats, like up at a monastery a couple hours away, which, by the way, this is a, a pitch right here, by the way. They're, you can sign up for Generation 9 on the app. It's under the, there's, in sign up and come try it and see if you like it. But I think I keep doing contemplative retreats because they just seem good for us. They're, they're, I, I have to spend at least the first retreat spending time saying, like, people saying, what do we do? They got their journal, they got their pen, they got their papers, you know, like, all right, I came on this retreat, I'm going to work. And my big message is, is you're going to work at doing absolutely nothing. I'm writing that down. Like, no, no, no. You don't need to write it down. It's just a divine waste of time. It's a graceful waste of time. You do nothing with no distractions or anything. You go for a walk with no point or destination. You sit and look at the grass. And the leaves, for no particular reason. I take you to a place where you have none of your normal things, like I really ought to wash the kitchen counters. No, no. well, you don't have your kitchen counters here, so that's not going to happen. All of this just says you're just fine the way you are. You can sit and watch the horizon. You can doodle on a page in your journal or on a piece of cardboard. You can go for a run with no tracking device, no Apple Watch or anything like that. You don't need to keep track of your paces. You don't need to keep track of your calories even. It's not a fasting retreat. You could fall asleep in a great big leather chair. We call it Naptio divina. (laughs) And retreat says, God just loves you the way you are. Why don't you just come and hang out with me? But everything else in this world is telling you, like, you've got to perform. You've got to be something. You've got to show up. And God says, no, you don't. Advent is this interesting season during the church calendar. I mean, if you want stuff to do, prohibitions and things you're supposed to add, then let's get the Lent before Easter, right? That's sit up straight and pay attention. Advent is a party. Well, it's the preparation for a party. Christmas is the party, and we're all preparing right now. And and your main goal is try not to pick at the turkey before the meal. You know what I mean? You're preparing if you get my if you get my drift. My sister would always walk through the kitchen, man. My mom would freak out because she would start picking at the crispy skin on the turkey, which of course we all love. And my mom was like, Don't eat the turkey now, wait till we all sit down. And my sister's like, why? Because it's like Christmas is coming. You're like some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Like, because Christmas is coming, that's the big celebration right now. We're just getting all our stuff together. This is the fun part, but you're waiting for the big thing to happen, right? And Advent, then, is this sort of time where you just, you, you just want to, well, you're supposed to relax anyway, you know? And as a church, then, we celebrate Advent in our homes, right? On Sunday evenings is the right idea, with some little game, a sharing, a, some lighting of candles, a prayer together, and some snacks. It's super easy. You'll, you'll When you walk out of here, if you've never done this Advent thing, you, you have to try it. We gathered early on. We did it a couple of times, I think, with just the four of us, our two kids and Laurie and me, and it did not work. It was the total like, oh, like, you know, so we just did the classic parent trick and we just gathered with some other families whose kids were doing the same exact thing. And then all the kids started paying attention and having fun with each other. So that's why we did to gather families together on a deal. So this is the Advent Guide. There's a wreath out there, new and improved if you want to upgrade your wreath. And um, there's candles and stuff and you can get on your app and buy it all right there or you can pay cash if you have to. And this guide that I have here is actually a PDF. And it's real simple. You get together. The idea is a real slowing thing. The snack is part of the whole thing. And it gets the kids, well, mostly it gets me involved. You know, and you'll you'll want this for everyone who's a reader. Now, I tend to push a little kid's game. And tonight, it'll be sardines. Yes, parents, you can do the eye roll. Sardines is the opposite of hide and seek. Read the instructions in the book, and you'll see how to play. Sometimes I wonder if a whole bunch of 50-year-olds shouldn't be playing sardines in somebody's house. Sounds like a crack-up to me. But And then you get together, and you light the candle of hope in your home, and, um, and then you do your sharing and some prayers. And the prayers are in unison. That's why you have to have a copy of this, okay? And help the little ones out who can't read. So the thing is... We do the same Advent tradition every year because repetition is what builds your child's hope. It what gives them a spiritual taproot. This is how you shape your kids' lives. And you're like, dude, I am not some spiritual mastermind. I am not a spiritual giant. Like, cool, that's why we do this. You don't have to be. You just read the instruction book, you know? This is what we do. And it's the repetition that builds a family. This is how we understand Christmas. This is where Jesus and Christianity comes right into the home. So you don't end up just having gifts and Santa Claus. But you actually have Jesus in the manger and all the rest of it. You have the whole thing. So we'll gather as a church just to be with each other during the season. And we will light the candles and we'll sing the carols. And we'll sing the same stories of scripture just like this one of Zechariah. And we'll talk about prophecy and Mary's song's going to come. And we're going to talk about mangers and cattle lowing and shepherds quaking and angels' voices. We'll do all that. and You'll do all that in your home. And you, you guys and your friends and family will become souls. And you'll just settle down and have peace. And maybe the fatigue will go away a little bit. And maybe we'll stop being so pressed. Maybe we'll just sleep better. So, tonight, take your Advent wreath and your purple candle of hope and read it, and read the questions, do the little discussion. There's about four questions, by the way, in the book. You can just do one if you want, right? Um, and then we'll, you do the Lord's Prayer together. And tonight, you take little pieces of paper. So, you know, you want to chop up some pieces of paper and have some pencils. And people write people's names of somebody who needs hope. And then somebody takes them out of a basket and says their name. And you say, Lord, um, you know, uh, what's it say? Lord, hear our prayer. You know what I mean? And that's how we do it. Same thing. Same tradition. You know, let's just hope and pray that Be Real doesn't show up during Advent. Okay, it's okay if it does and that's what makes Christmas strong. Advent is here, and it'll cure your weariness if you just do the simple little bit of the whole thing. Amen.